Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. He's absolutely right, you know. You are listening to Talking CFD, the CFD podcast that's more about business models than turbulence models. Today I'm talking with Patrick Hanley. Patrick's the founder of Hanley Innovations, the makers of an aero toolkit of CFD codes that you don't need a supercomputer to get results with. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely no problem. For those listeners who haven't heard of Hanley Innovations or haven't bumped into your content on LinkedIn, so that's probably about two people, um, can you give us a brief overview of um, of, of what Hanley Innovations is and what, what you do as of now? Yes. Um, Hanley Innovations is a, a software development company, and basically what we do is aerodynamic software. And the reason for that is that my background is in fluid dynamics. Um, I'm a subject matter expert in aerodynamics. And uh, the software tends to um, have people or manufacturers who build on aircraft UAVs, um, marine um, devices such, such as sails or keels, rudders. They help them with their aerodynamics to compute lift drag to develop more efficient products. Excellent. So as far as I can tell, you started this coming off the back of your um, PhD from MIT, and then you did um, several years in in academia. Um, what made you take the leap into, into business, as it were? Was it less of a leap and more of a, a transition? It was not a transition. It's something that, I wanted to do, um, even when I was in graduate school. In fact, I did a minor in, in management of innovation and technology and uh, um, concentrating on starting new technology companies. So it was like, hey, I'm going to do this. <laughs> um, right after graduate school at MIT, I got a teaching um, job at the University of Connecticut. And I taught aerodynamics and fluid dynamics there. But while I was there, I, I wanted something that helps the student to understand a little bit better about um, fluid mechanics and aerodynamics. And we taught, back then, there was no computational fluid dynamics um, tools to use. Um, and basically, I taught the kids how to do um theory such as thin airfoil theory um panel methods and all the classic aerodynamics but there was nothing for them to gain any sort of um experience or practical experience to go ahead and build say like an airplane um right out of school or or something that they can think with um Uh and at the as the design so i thought hey uh, let's do an airfoil analysis software and that's what got me. That's what got me started. So that's uh, that's going back a little bit, isn't it? That's kind of um, twenty yeah. years ago, I guess. Is it? Oh yeah, that's more than twenty years ago. <laughs> so, have you always produced tools that made the most of the available hardware? Because I notice your your toolkit at the moment runs on a reasonable spec Windows machine. We don't we don't need uh, anything super powerful or super expensive to get results from your your tools 
Right. My philosophy is put the biggest program on the smallest computer. Right. So, um, so what I'm, it, it's like, um, I, I thought that the PC, even back in the day, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, could run something, it could run an aerodynamics program. And back then it didn't mean a three dimensional program, but it meant a panel method. It can run reasonably fast. And now, sure, we can run a Navier-Stokes uh, RAND solution on a PC. So that's, that's my philosophy. So what did the business look like back then? Was it a, just a one project? Oh, sorry, one product? Or have you always offered a, a suite? Um, it was more or less a suite. Uh, that's what I thought. Uh, it was started with one product, but I also wanted something to do wings. Oh, sweet. Something 3D, um, something uh, to do quick to do airfoils, and then some sort of um, training or interactive training tool uh, as far as, as much as interactive as you could get back then. So I had a, a book called Aerodynamics in Plain English, and I had the visual foil package, and then I had something for wings based on lifting line theory um, called wing analysis. So those software evolved, software evolved going into, say, 1995, 98, around the, those years. So has the, the products grown in complexity as more compute powers become available or is it just the that's what um that's what your customers need they they've they've graduated through uh, through the functionality and need more and more each time yes um the 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 programs have grown up to become um uh, multi-element airfoils which is a navier stokes um boiler solver that solve multiple airfoils, uh, still interactive, still on the PC. Um, wing, analysis, uh, wing Analysis Plus has grown into multi, uh, multi-surface aerodynamics, and multi-surface, aerona- uh, multi-surface aerodynamics has grown into Stallion 3D. But I still offer multi-surface aerodynamics. So when I say grown into, literally grown into, because the Stallion 3D user interface shares pretty much the same menu system. It's the same interface uh, as multi-surface aerodynamics. So all the interactivity of creating wings in multi-surface aerodynamics and solving it with a vortex lattice method, you have the same interface. You could create wings, lifting surfaces in Stallion 3D, but solve it with a RANS or Euler solver. Uh, so it's, just, it's the same user interface. So customers would feel at home almost in, in any of the tools. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a there's a list on your website. I'm not sure how up-to-date it is of past and, and present customers, but it reads like a who's who of fluid dynamics. You seem to have almost every university in the U.S. covered, and then there's marine companies, renewables, even CERN are on there. I assume they're not atom-smashing in Stallion. But, um, yeah, no. Do you have a target customer? Yes. Um, when when I um, started, my target audience was, was academia. 
So, um, just sent up postcards and and emails and letters to everybody who did aerodynamics and fluid dynamics in the United States. Just send them emails and postcards, and I got that's how I got my first set of customers. And then once once I got out there doing my, I just wanted to do this thing for um students, but um, around that time, the hobbyists um, were very active building airplanes and gliders and, you know, yachts, things like that. And they looked at my visual foil software and they used it um, to, to um, get their airfoils um, and create, to get efficient airfoils for their designs. So... I, that picked up a whole bunch of different customers that I, I did not even target. And that came about after I built, you know, my first website. Ah, right. So the, the website was um, part of the key to attracting customers because I guess that has changed radically in those 23 years. I guess it's easier to, to reach customers now. I don't suppose you're sending out too many postcards these days. No, I'm not sending out, <laughs> I'm not sending out too many postcards, but I do have a mailing list. Um, that I maintain. I also notice on your website that all of the products are for sale on the website. All the prices are there in, in plain sight. I can click on a button, pay by PayPal, download the code, and if I'm on a decent Windows machine, I'm off to the races. Um, that's not the norm in, in this industry. Have you always done it that way? Or whilst ever it's been technically possible to do it that way, is that how you've done it? Yes, that, that's correct. I've, I've hand-coded all of my software uh, even, you know, I've written all the code, the Navistokes code, the graphics codes. And the reason I did it that way is to keep the, the executables very small. So even with Stallion 3D, it has um, Navistokes solvers, it has um, Euler solvers in it, it has OpenGL code every, to do the graphics, things like that. But the download side size is less than nine megabytes right so it's so it can be easily downloaded so i i I just wanted um the customer not to have much hassle they do not have to install you know um other software from other places just to to run to to get a solution is that how most of the sales happen or is it a little bit more hands-on is it um are you going out and attracting customers or are they coming to you um they are mostly um, coming to me, and um, it's it's building up. Uh, I um, it's, it's it's using an established customer base from the beginning of you know like from ten years ago. Um, people, I have a lot of repeat customers from 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 the past, but I do have a new set of customers who I. I attract from my current activities on LinkedIn from my search engine optimizations. And um, sometimes I do make cold calls, but not too much these days. Because I guess the market, so when you've been around a while, the market kind of develops around you a little bit. I suppose there were no drone builders uh, a few years ago, but I imagine there's quite a few of those guys who are interested in what you're doing. Yes, uh, a lot of my customers are, um, drone manufacturers. So how do you decide how to 
um, evolve your products? How do they how do they grow? Is it is it customer led or is it your next big idea? Um, it's a little bit of both, and it, it's usually customer led. And no matter what I come up with, somebody is going to say, "Hey, it would be nice if." Um, and sometimes I don't do what it would be nice to do, but um, I have to. Um, first of all, be able to do it in the context of the program. And then there's things that the industry is going doing, and then the computer itself is developing. So going, say, from a program that does vortex or pa- vortex lattice or panel methods, but the computer can run, um, say, that's based on the Euler Navier-Stokes, then I'll go with the Euler or Navier-Stokes solution. And basically, I want it, would want it to be as easy to use as the um, panel method or the, the Vortex Dynamics program. So it's so customer based, but then you have to have some sort of technolo- technology base as well. So um, how do I make Navier-Stokes Euler equations where grid generation is involved as easier to use? as a panel method, which does not necessarily have to have grid generation. Those things that I think are the things I think about when developing a new program. Are you coming at it more from the angle of what is the next problem that I can address as opposed to what's the next feature I can build? What is the next problem that the customer has that I can address by building a new tool or a new workflow or something like that? I I usually look at the customer, for example, my naval architect customers, um, they want um, things that have fluid and air interface. So they want something that would require a volume of fluid. Now, I could solve a volume of fluid problem, but um, how do I keep it in context of, you know, automatic grid generations and things like that? that? Those are the things I have to work out. So those are the things that my brain works. Uh, my brain works in the cloud. So I put the problems in there. I go about my business and something. sometimes the answer comes back um, overnight when I don't expect it. So those are the things I think about about doing and once i have the answer then i can um i I upgrade the program or do something do you upgrade fairly regularly would that be uh, would you bundle things up into into a big release and do that once a year or something like that well sometimes i upgrade as i go along and um the big release i had lately is stallion 3d where i um upgraded using the reynolds average navier stokes i put it on to multi-core processing and made a number of other improvements behind the scenes as well. So I, I tend to upgrade. I, I would like to upgrade like maybe two or three times a year um, as a major upgrade. Uh, and actually upgrading is, a, is, is also a form of marketing as well. You, you can get some momentum there by upgrading the software. Re-engaging previous users. Yeah, and then there are always those users that would say, I would buy your software if. And that gives you a motivation to upgrade as well. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with customers coming, I'd buy it if? Sometimes it's a very simple upgrade. I I can um, do it overnight, something like that, and say, oh, I already have that feature. (laughs) 
And if it's another very simple upgrade, then I will say, maybe in the next upgrade, I can tag you and let you know, put you on my mailing list. Did you ever consider either open sourcing your code or perhaps licensing the technology to a, a, a bigger player or something like that? Nope. No, I, I, I probably won't do an open source. Not, not, not the current code at all. Um, I think there, there's a lot of open source codes out there. And, you know, yeah, SU2, there's um, OpenFoam, all the codes from NASA. I, I, uh, they're not really open source, but in the United States, you can pretty much call NASA and get every single thing they have. Um, CFL 3D, Fun 3D, um, Car 3D, those type of codes you can readily, are uh, readily available. So, um, there's really no need for me to, um, add to that. Um, my codes also are very much integrated in, in, into the user interface. So it, it will, it will take, um, a lot. No, uh, it would take a lot um, of dealing with Windows and um, you know the current operating system, things like that, um, to to make an impact. But um, my philosophy is not to open source. Yeah, it just doesn't fit with this current business model. So although you've got downloadable software, it's still it's not perpetually licensed, is it? Is that right? So it, you um, you have a recurring revenue from a from a downloaded code is that right yeah it's, it's something new though um even though i've started uh, like two or three years ago it's to me it's still new previously it was perpetual license and it's um it's difficult to get people to switch over from perpetual license into to subscriptions but you know i'm, I'm going with the subscriptions now and I, I've developed a system um, to make subscribing very easy. And basically, as I mentioned before, the code size, they're very small. You could download them to any computer that you're on. And then um, it basically runs on that computer and it's authenticated on the web, on my website. Right. So you just, once, once you start the code, it asks you for username and password. You enter it, and you can run from any computer that you're on. So it's like a sort of a cloud thing, except except the browser is in the software as opposed to the software <laughs> is in the browser. That's that was my philosophy. I actually looked at that about five about ten years ago. Do I make the browser in the software or the software in the browser? And the browser is in the software, and the software is has a very small footprint. So you can do it like that and still be very flexible. So I, I think I know the answer to this, but um, is downloadable software dead? Should we all be uh, building CFD as a service offerings or is there still room for uh, for a downloadable software with a, a licensing arrangement like you've got? As long as, as long as the downloadable software has a very small footprint and when, and if, you know, it's it's going to be called, it's an, just like an app. I mean, my 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 Facebook app is downloadable. My Twitter app is downloadable. Yeah, they're probably bigger than Stallion as well. They're all bigger than Stallion. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like that. You can always every any customer can go to my website and download the latest version, 
and install it and run it on whatever computer they want to. And basically, they could save the data up to the cloud and then use it when they if they switch computers. Oh, right. I didn't realize that. That's uh, interesting. Um... Yeah, they can choose their drive. You know, they could go to a Google Drive or a, you know, oh, Microsoft wow. Drive and save the data there or save the project file there. And then when they switch to another computer, they can start from there as well. So you've sort of taken the, the the best bits of a software as a service from your point of view, the recurring revenue, um, from the consumer's point of view, the being able the the offsite backup, um, the being able to um, update to new versions quite quickly, um, uh, ease of yeah. use, all that sort of thing, and, and combine them into into a different into a different yeah. model, which I, I don't think I've seen anybody else doing quite the same model. Really? Yeah, and the reason why I did that is because um, if the cloud goes down, if my service goes down, what I've programmed into the software is if it, if it's not hearing from me, from my server, then you can get on. So it's up to me to keep it alive. It's like a guard at the gate, which I usually look at it as. If I don't, if the guard is not there, then you could enter. Um, but if the, if the guard is there, then you know you have to show your ticket. Yeah. So the, if if my website is down and you have my software and you log in and you enter your name, you can get on if my website or my server is dead for whatever reason. Yeah. So to to pick your brains a little bit, what advice might you have for say for somebody coming out of their PhD with a a new code or a technology that they've developed during the course of that PhD or their their study so coming out of academia with with something new and uh, looking to make a business out of it what should they what should they not do or uh, what should they avoid that sort of thing i don't know what there are thousands of things to avoid so i'll tell them what they should do um (laughs) um they should basically try to help somebody uh, look at a company that a business that they say, wow, um, they're doing it wrong, and my software would help them. And you can just go and talk to that business and say, well, you know, this is how it can be done a little bit better. And, you know, you demonstrate to them, and, you know, you might have a customer there. And it's basically you should do something that you feel very comfortable doing and that you like to do because – um, I can talk to any customer about aerodynamics or any aspect of their design in aerodynamics about their wings or flaps, the theoretical aerodynamics, what might be going wrong, what I don't know, what they don't know all day, and I'll be enjoying it. So that, that's that's what they should do. Um, they should not try to say, um, oh, ANSYS has this, so I have to have this too, or, you know, CD Adapto has this, so I definitely have to have that too. So you're not going to cover broad bases like that. You have to start with something that you like or feel comfortable and have a lot of knowledge doing so that you could really help somebody. So there's a uh, there's a theme developing in some of these conversations that I've been having where um, it really all does start with a customer. If you don't find somebody who's going to um, use your serv- find your service um, or product useful 
then you, you're not onto it. That is, that's where it needs to begin. Not with the code, not with the technology, not with a fancy website, but with somebody who's got a pain that you can fix. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think that that would be a good place to start. But, and then after that, uh, of course, you still need to have the code and the fancy website once they've found that. But secondary to having somebody pay you some money. Yeah. Well, Honor, thank you for uh, spending some time with us today, Patrick. And where, where should people go if they want to find more out about Handley Innovations or maybe connect with you or, or even uh, buy some of your code? Sure. They can go to henleyinnovations.com. Or they can give me, they'll find information on contacting me. They can give me a call and or send me an email. And, and um, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone who I might be able to help. Especially if it's talking aerodynamics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Me too. <laughs> well, I guess you're still listening. You must have got something out of this. So... Why not hop over to TalkingCFD.com and sign up for the mailing list? Be good to have you. You'll get updates of new episodes and also more info about the end of season roundtable that I'm planning, where you can join me and some of this season's guests live for a little Q&A session. If that's your speed, then drop your email in the box at TalkingCFD.com and I'll keep you in the loop. See you next time. Thank you.